Welcome to Freedom Decoded. We're Demir and Carrie Bentley. We ditched the nine to five, moved abroad. Now we live in Medellin, Colombia. And professionally, we help other people get control of their time, get control of their life, and start designing a life that really works for them. You can find out more about us at lifehackmethod.com. And this podcast is our chance to, you know, let you behind the curtain a little bit and talk about a subject that we're personally really passionate about in the moment. So today we're going to be talking about prioritization using the one thing methodology and how to resolve a paradox that is sort of embedded within that methodology. Or as we're going to prove, a seeming paradox. It really is just a seeming paradox. Yes. Yeah. Um, Why don't we jump in and just say, the smallest bit of context for people who, of course, what is the one thing? Maybe somebody's coming in here and they're like, what? What are you even talking about? So the one thing is a paradigm that was created uh, in a book of the same name, the one thing by Jay Papazan and Gary Keller. And they wrote this book. It's titled The One Thing. It's one of my favorite books. I've read it like 15 times famously. <laughs> I just love that book and read it until it became a part of my thinking. Anyways, The premise of this book, and I'm vastly oversimplifying it, is that humans really aren't good at focusing on multiple things at one time. We have the illusion that we can. So it's almost like a unicorn. If I asked somebody to draw a unicorn, everybody in the world would be able to draw a unicorn. And yet, does one exist? No. So we have this collective fantasy that we can multitask and keep multiple tracks and priorities in our mind. And in the one thing, they basically say, nope, we can't. We can really only focus on one thing at a time and winning or losing is just about how good you choose that one thing. thing. Yeah. And I think they take it even further, which is to emphasize that the one thing that you choose needs to be leveraged. So it can't just be like any old thing. Um, And we're going to talk about what leverage is in in a second. Um, But I I think what's cool, too, is that now science backs that up. Like science, even in like day to day actions, shows that there is no such thing as multitasking. It's just like rapid single tasking, which is really helpful sort of on a micro level to understand that that's just naturally how our brains work. It's like one thing at a time. Yeah. And we're going to get into that. But I'll just for the people who are just coming in completely new to this idea, the one thing paradigm. Gary Keller, Jay Papazan, check out the book. Now, because it's so popular and because so much of our methodology builds on top of that, a lot of people will come almost in like mid-panic attack and, and be like, Gary, Demir, how dare you? They're actually offended. Right. Almost they feel like attacked. They feel like what we're saying is, hey, in your busy life where there's a thousand things that you got to do this week, We only want you to do one thing. Right. And that's not at all what we're saying. Right. Like, how could you tell us to only do one thing? I have like a list of thousands of things that I have to do and they're all urgent and I have to do them. So clearly this won't work for me. There's a certain type of person. It's not every person, but like one out of 20 people who come into the tribe, they come in looking for relief. And they misinterpret what we mean by using the one thing methodology and they take it as the most offensive slap on the face, like the last straw. I've had such a busy life and this guy dares to tell me that I can only do one thing a week. Let me just assure you and everybody who might be listening. No, you're going to do a thousand things this week. The question is, what's the most important thing? 
that you're going to do this week. And clarity or lack of clarity on that ends up being pretty much the whole ballgame. So right. let's, let's, now that we've sort of set a table, as it were, why don't we start to unpack this a bit? Yeah. Okay, cool. So what we're talking about with the one thing is what is your number one priority? Meaning it comes before all your other priorities, because I'm sure you have other things you have to get done, other urgent tasks, breathing down your neck. The one thing is meant to be the thing that you do first before everything else. And by doing it, then you guarantee that you have done the most important thing with your time this week. And so even if the rest of the week, honestly, like goes to just like goes up in flames, you know, and you have to deal with all these other emergencies throughout your week, you know that you've carved off enough time and done your number one priority. And it's such a relieving feeling when you get that done. Like, you know, we have tons of things we have to do every week. It's not like we've created some kind of workflow where we only ever have to do one thing. Obviously, we have tons of things we have to do. But just that feeling of knowing like, okay, I've done the most important thing. Now, let's talk about that word important, because I think this is also where people get tripped up a little bit. This word important can be interpreted in so many different ways is sometimes 180 degree difference. So for example, if somebody had a parking ticket that was way overdue and and now they're getting late fees on it, it could feel massively important to pay off that parking ticket. And I'm not arguing that it is important, but it's not leveraged. Yeah, so So let's talk about leverage. when we say important, we imply leverage. And leverage is simply the thing that you can do that moves you forward in the most powerful way in any given timeline, today, this week, this month. So when you hear us say, for example, what's your most leveraged thing to do this month? What we're really saying is, what can you do this month that moves your life forward in the most powerful and the most effective way? Yeah, so I'll give you a quick example of that. Like, What's my most leveraged priority this week? so that maybe this will help clarify it because it's kind of a tricky concept. But basically, my most leveraged priority this week is to send out 10 more requests for endorsements for an upcoming book. Now, why is that leveraged? Well, if we can get those several endorsements necessary for our book promotion, then it's going to make promoting the book so much easier. So this is what we're talking about, where if it's leveraged, it should down the line make your life a lot easier or even make certain activities unnecessary. And in fact, this is Gary Keller and Jay Papazan's definition of leverage is it's that something that makes everything else easier or even unnecessary. And so when you think about if you want an even more specific definition of what moving your life forward, it would be moving. The thing that can move your life forward the most is the thing that makes everything in the future easy and maybe even unnecessary. And there's ways to do the same exact task that would be leveraged and not leveraged. So for example, if I spent a bunch of time this week answering customer service emails, then that would be non-leveraged because it's just uh, one one and done, like an email When you get to the bottom of that stack of emails, you just got to start again next week. It's going to pile up. But if I was to take the time to create template responses for each one so that then my assistant could have more to work with, or even for me for next week, I wouldn't have to think about what to write. I'd be able to copy and paste. Now that takes a non-leveraged activity and makes it leveraged. Exactly. Now contrast this with paying the parking ticket. Could you say that paying a massively overdue parking ticket makes your life easier or un- makes things in your future easier or unnecessary? And the answer is comically, 
No, of course not. So let me just, although there's many dimensions of feeling that are something are important, let me reduce it for simplicity's sake to two. Something that really has you behind the ball and you've just got to catch up, meaning it's a thorn in your side that you just need to pull out versus something that actually lifts you up and propels you forward and makes things easier in the future. So that when we talk about important, let's come back to this word important. Yes. What we're really saying is leverage. And yet when many of our clients come to us and say, I need to do this important thing, what we really realize is it's not leverage. Right. And so it's just something that's breathing down their neck or somebody's screaming at them for it, but it's not actually something that's going to improve their life. Right. Now, if you'll let me build on this for a second, I'll just say that the next big po important point here is that most people will say, well, duh, that's so obvious. <laughs> like, oh my God, of course. And yet almost every client we've ever had come in to our business down the line, would somehow finish their week and not get that one thing that they'd said they need to get and done, done. Let's talk about why that is. Well, it's because they want to spend time like warming up with small ball <laughs> talk, tasks. Talk about this. What yes. is a warming up? I mean, I'm guilty of this as much as anybody else because you take a look at your list and all the items on the list look the same, right? Just because of the way the list works. Um, so you might see a really easy task on there. You're like, oh, well, you know, it's first thing in the morning. Like I just had my coffee. Let me just take care of this easy thing real quick. And so then you spend the first hour or two hours of your day just sort of like doing these small ball tasks, warming up. Well, guess what? Then by the afternoon, you're like tired already. Or, or you get hit by a, what we call an unwanted, unplanned work item that just right. bam, blows up on you. And you had an intention to work on that big thing. I'm warming up to work on the big thing in right. the afternoon. I'm, I'm going to clear out all the space in my mind and have the mental <laughs> capacity to focus on the most important thing. I mean, I get the impulse. But a lot of times what happens is you're warming up to warm up to warm up to warm up and then all of a sudden it's Friday afternoon and that big thing never got done. I mean, there's an absurdity to it and yet it happens to every Everybody. single person. It's natural. I think it's sort of like that mirage where you're like, well, in order to tackle this big thing and overcome my resistance to it, I need to like clear out everything else so that I can feel relaxed and like feel ready. But I think the thing to remember is like, you're never gonna feel ready. Like you just have to dive into it. Yeah. And actually just the act of diving into it is what's gonna make you feel ready, not doing this other stuff. Okay, so if number one is that people aren't getting to their leverage priority because they are warming up perpetually, number two would be a lot of times those big leverage things have a lot of fear and stress and resistance tied to it. So for example, we're writing and promoting a book right now and we're constantly encountering this not good enoughism. Is is the book gonna be good enough? Are we going to be seen as good enough? So there's it's not just the mechanics of writing and promoting the book, it's also all all the emotional baggage along with it. And so those types of priorities feel heavier. And so subconsciously our animal brains like maybe we'll just not do that today. And then Friday arrives and you never did it. Right. Yeah. And I think another thing that happens a lot is frankly, people are using the wrong selection criteria. So rather than thinking about like, hey, what's the one thing they're trying to be like, oh, well, here's these five things. And I just I want to get them all done. And sure, it's like a, you're used to getting a lot of things done, but it's very important to have that list of priorities. So like which one is going to come first, which one is going to come second, yeah. third, fourth, fifth, so that, you know, you're always tackling the next highest priority item. Well, the weirdest thing is that that hair on fire exploding grenade in your to do list, if you really think about it, usually doesn't move you forward. 
And so often when we just go around in life putting out fires and jumping on grenades, then we end the year or we even end a decade and we think, wait, why am I not moved forward? How have I been a hero jumping on grenades for a decade, but I didn't get that promotion and I didn't write that book and I didn't start that business? And the reason is because you weren't really looking for the leverage of like what moves my life forward. Often that's quiet. It doesn't shout. It's not on fire. You just ran straight towards the most crazy on fire explosions in your life. I remember I used to do that all the time in my job. And I thought my job was to simply do everything that was expected of me at work. And it reached a point where like my boss was confused about this project. Our whole team was confused. It wasn't working. And I just took the entire weekend and I designed a new process for that from scratch. No one had asked me to do it. I just was like, someone needs to step up here and help the team move forward. So I took it, I redesigned it, I conceptualized it visually. And when I brought it to my boss on Monday, she was like, oh my gosh, this is what we needed. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is the kind of thing that's gonna get me promoted. Like I get it now. This is what people are paying me to do. They're paying me to do stuff that they're not telling me to do. And you just epitomize what we say a lot, which is your most leveraged priority usually isn't on your to-do list. So that thing that really needs to get done, that really propels you often, if you look at your priority list or your to-do list, it's not anywhere on that. It requires you almost putting your to-do list away and stepping back, getting the 5,000 foot view. So how then do you reconcile this idea of the one thing with people who genuinely have multiple priorities? We get people asking us all the time, well, can't I have a one thing for my personal life? Can't I have a one thing for my work? Like I genuinely have these two things. What am I supposed to do with that? Yeah, so I totally understand why people would be attracted to this because it feels so innately natural. Like, yeah, okay. And in fact, a lot of productivity and personal development gurus in the world have these giant books where they have you outline 26 different important areas of your life, your work, your spiritual walk, your sex life. I mean, they, (laughs) they basically have you you know, fracture your life into these infinitely small parts and then give you a top priority for each one of those. But then the problem is that you show up on Monday or at the beginning of any month, and now you've got 26 things to track with your mind, right? And here's the thing, even if you think that we can multitask, which by the way, we can't, but even if you thought we could, even people who believe in multitasking know that that's too much. You just can't keep track of it. And when you make everything a priority, nothing is a priority. Yeah, and plus you set yourself up for failure. You're not going to be motivated to keep going because you're not going to see su- sufficient progress. You're going to see like tiny little bits of progress, but no matter what you do, one of those balls is going to get dropped. It's so anguishing because people have done these, and I'm not taking a shot at anybody in the personal development space. This is a genuinely held belief that people have gone and done these like workbooks that are for sale out there. And in a weird way, it's they're worse off than they were before because before they hadn't really clarified and, and crystallized a vision for all these different areas of their life. Now they did and they want it and right. they're further away than ever. Exactly. Think about the analogy of instead of me giving you one football and saying, run that to the end zone, I give you 26 footballs and say, here you go. Are you going to be? No, you're going to be dropping them all over the field. It, what you end up with is 
you know, 26 balls somewhere between the 80 and two yard line. Right. But no points scored. What would be better is to grab a ball, run it to the end zone, come back, grab another ball, run it to the end zone. This is what we call the Pez dispenser model, right? Yes. Where you just take one and you eat it and then you take another one, you eat it, right? Chew it down, <laughs> swallow it. And this is how things really get done, especially when you apply leverage. So let me tell you how we resolve this idea of how can you have one thing, but then keep your eye on multiple tracks or multiple priorities. So the way I think about it is I want you to think about a champagne moment and bonus champagne moments. There's only one champagne moment, but you can have, I don't want to say as many, but maybe like four or five bonus champagne moments. I say four or five, not because of anything scientific, but just simply my experience coaching with thousands of people tells me that when people put down more than four or five whatever you marked is six, seven, eight, it never gets done. And it's a waste of time and energy. And you feel like somehow bad about yourself that you right. didn't get it. Do yourself a favor, start with like one champagne moment, maybe three bonus champagne moments. So what's the difference between your champagne moment and your bonus champagne moments? I like to think about it as like a chessboard. In chess, we all know what the most important piece is, right? What is it? The king. Okay, great. And so what's the point? You're you're not winning the game necessarily, but you don't lose the game as long as you protect Exactly. Your king. I love this analogy because it shows you how basically sacrifice is necessary. Yeah. There's not a single person who plays a game of chess who does not sacrifice at least one player. Yeah, you can't go to chess and say, oh my goodness, I can't sacrifice a pawn or a rook. No, you, you sort of, you don't want to sacrifice any of your players. So you're not being haphazard and saying, let's get rid of this pawn. Right. You're really actively trying to preserve all your chess pieces. But when push comes to shove, you know which players you would sacrifice and in which order, yeah. which players and are more important. For which game. If the gain is worth it, then you sacrifice yeah. the player. Now, to make it even easier, imagine a chess board where there are only two types of players. There were just a king and pawns. That would make it infinitely easy because you would know, hey, if it's a pawn, I can sacrifice it. If it's a king, I'll do anything to save it. Right. And so this is how I think about your champagne moment versus your bonus champagne moment. Your champagne moment is your king. If you lose your champagne moment, meaning you finish the week or you finish the month and did not complete your champagne moment, you have pretty much taken yourself out of your game. You lost that increment of time where you could have moved your life forward and you're never going to get it back. Right. Right. But if you lose a bonus champagne moment... I mean, it's not great, but you were able to protect your king. So the way I think about my bonus champagne moments is, yes, I do give myself a champagne moment for the week and then two or three or maybe four, depending on the size, bonus champagne moments. But I see them all as sacrificable. And right. I, I, before anybody says it, I know that's not a word, but I like <laughs> it. It sounds right. It sounds it's, wordy. It sounds like the right word here. Sacrificeable. Right. So all okay. of my bonus champagne ones are sacrificeable. And that means that I would probably shed a tear if they didn't get done. But it would be the right kind of tear because I'd still be able to go home, hold my head high and say, but I defended my king. Right. Let me toss this to you. Is this making sense so far? Totally. Yeah, I think so. For me, what I do is I have that one champagne moment, which is my number one leverage priority. I have a bonus champagne moment. And then some weeks I even have, a, I call it like a double bonus. Like if I'm extra specially awesome, I would also do this this week. So it really helps in my mind having that. And I even translate that to how they get scheduled. So my number one champagne moment is always really early on in the week. Yes. Like as early as I can do it. And then my other two are scheduled in slightly later in the week so that it really, my whole workflow 
is designed to help me get that number one thing done. Exactly. So notice what you said. Whereas most people will spend their whole week warming up and saying, once I get all the mess of life cleared up, then late in the day or late in the week, then I'll tackle this big important thing. You're doing the opposite. Exactly. You're saying like, I'm going to use my key life force, my best energy, and I'm going to move heaven and earth to get my big priority done this week. Because if I do, I know I've pretty much won the game and everything else is gravy. If I can just add one more thing onto that, this is a, for a lot of our clients who use Asana, like we do, which is a task management platform, people struggle with this idea of leaving tasks undone inside of a task list platform or even on a to-do list. And they're like, wow, it makes me feel so bad when I look at my list and so many things didn't get done that day. I don't feel that way as long as my number one thing got done. So I'm looking at my list and sure, it's meant to be a list of everything I should do in an ideal world. But I already know looking at it, I'm like, probably not all going to get done. My job is to make sure those most important things done. And I don't feel bad at all about just deleting things that that I think I'm not going to get to that or pushing it off to a future date and being like, that's not a this week thing. That's a next week thing, maybe. So, so think about the difference with you when you've gotten your big champagne moment done by Tuesday, you go into Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. No, it's just whistling like, hey, this is all gravy. I'm going to try to get as much of my to do list done as I possibly can between now and, and Friday night. But frankly, I've already won this game exactly. versus many people who plan out their day and say, I, if I didn't get every single thing I said I was going to get done on this day or this week done, well, then it's a loss. Right. So you've given yourself an easier way to win the week, a standard by which you can go home at the end of the week. And let's be honest, like we all finished the week on Friday with more things that we needed to do, things that we told ourselves had to get done this week. And every the human experience now is that every single one of us is going to get to Friday and some of those can't miss items will have gotten missed, right? And so this is a standard where you can still live with yourself and say, okay, but at least... I got my champagne moment done, maybe even a bonus champagne moment. Well, I think one of the reasons most people aren't getting their number one priority done in the week two is because they're still stuck in this planning fallacy. Can you explain a little bit more about what that is? Yeah, so the planning fallacy is a really well-known cognitive bias. And it's our tendency to overestimate what we can do and underestimate how long things take to do. And What's important about that is knowing that every single human being is biased in that direction. This also explains why people aren't hitting their goals, right? So when people are setting champagne moments or bonus champagne moments, or even if they're not calling it that, they're just setting their five goals for the week or whatever it might be, they're not sizing it properly. And now there's a couple of things that can really help with that. One is time tracking. When you're time tracking and you're planning your week the way that we do it with the winning the week methodology, you're going to really tamp down on the planning fallacy and get your conception of your time closer in line with your actual time. So what you're doing is using external data, the time tracking data and your weekly pre-plan when loot played week after week are going to get you closer and closer to reality of what you can actually do and how long things actually take. But most of us don't start there. We're not doing the winning the week methodology and we're not tracking our time. And so what means is our, our perception of what we should be able to get done. And reality is this like Texas size gulf between the two. Of course, that opens you up to shame and guilt and disappointment and just frustration because when you're sitting there setting these goals, it feels eminently doable. And then when you get into the reality and the mud and the blood and the guts, it's not doable. And then you play that sort of downward spiral cycle. 
So another thing is you, you shouldn't be surprised then that many people who come in and start working with us, I tell them not to select any bonus champagne moments, maybe right. one or two, because most of them aren't even completing their champagne moment. They're, pl- they're so deep in magical thinking. They're so deep in the planning fallacy that they don't even have enough time to get their champagne moment done in the week together with all of the other shallow work that they have to do. So often we'll work for a month just to get to a point where somebody's sizing their champagne moments realistically enough to complete their champagne moments consistently throughout the week. And then you can start thinking about, okay, let's, when you're, when you're hitting your champagne moments every single week, you can say, oh, I'll have one or two bonus champagne moments just in case I get a little bit ahead yeah, and of it. And what I, what I love about this process is that once you get used to it, and you have that sort of like new feeling around time, you're much better equipped to say yes and no to the right things. So um, you'll just intuitively be able to sense, like someone asks you to do something, you'll just intuitively know, like, can I do that or can I not do that? And you'll, of course, try to say no, because you want to be defending those champagne moments. Um, But occasionally you'll be like, oh yeah, I guess I could do that too. Um, But it also just just frees your mind up to be like, yeah, no, if I say yes to this right now, I'm no, I know for a fact I'm not going to be able to get one of my bonus champagne moments done. And I really don't want that. So, like, I'm going to say no or not now. Yeah. Now, there, one of the things we're not getting into, so I'll just put a little placeholder here, is a, champ- a bonus champagne moment and a champagne moment might show up in your to-do list, but they're not equal to every other thing in totally, your to-do list. Totally. They're those you know, special stars in the constellation, right? So there's a lot of stars in the constellation, but there's those ones we navigate towards, like the North Star, right? And that's what a champagne moment or a bonus champagne moment. It's you sort of circling in red or underlighting or highlighting one task and saying, that's the task hiding in the sea of tasks or the constellation of tasks that's actually gonna move me forward in the most tangible way. So in our training in Lifehack Tribe, this month, what we're going to do is a training on this same topic, advanced life map, advanced one thing. How do you responsibly run multiple tracks of priorities, but still employ the one thing? So that's going to be a masterclass we're going to do this month inside so of Tribe. Awesome. So don't miss that. And in that training, we're going to go deeper into this concept of, wait, so champagne moments show up on your task list, but they're not only tasks are something bigger. So we're going to unpack that and explain that as well. We're not going to get into that as much right here. Yeah. Okay. So really quick though, before we move on, I just want to say that it's mid month right now. And I'm looking at my archive of completed champagne moments, meaning when I complete a champagne moment or a bonus champagne moment, I don't throw it away. I save it in a little list because it makes me feel good to read that (laughs) list and do my monthly review and see what I got done. Mid month, I've completed three champagne moments and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven bonus champagne moments. And I still have more or less two more weeks in the month. Now, again, you and I have been doing this for 10 years. So we're, we know how to size them properly. We've done a lot of systems work to clear out a lot of the shadow, shallow work and reclaim our time for really deep and leveraged work. So that beginner wouldn't come in and do that. I just want to give somebody a preview of like, Hey, if you really live this life and you do this for a long period of time, it's not as if you can't get a lot of things done. Right. And these are just the important things you're doing. You're, you're just talking about the most important things there. In addition to those, I happen to know you've done a bajillion other 50 or a hundred shallow work tasks, Right, but we don't even think about those because we're like, all right, that's just necessary. 
That's just stuff we have to do, but it comes after the most important work gets done. Yeah, and I mean, one thing that I do that I love is you talk about them being special stars. I put actually a little star emoji in front I of love how you do that. The, the highest priority tasks in my asana. And there's only one max per day because that makes sure that I don't exceed my my bonus champagne limit. So, so what does that do for you to like, so if you've got 20 tasks for the day and you see that one has this emoji with a star in it, that what does one, that do? That one gets moved to the top of the list. So basically, it's it, just a reminder to me. It's even better than a tag because it's the very first thing that I see on my list. That reminds me, it's like, that's the most important thing. Like, stop looking at this other stuff yet. Like, don't look at it. Just don't even look. Just go straight to that most important thing and keep it at the top of my list until it gets done. Yeah, I think about it almost like I'm a sailor on a rough ocean and the ocean is pushing me off course. But when I've got that star, that's what I'm always navigating towards. And the problem is without that, without taking some things on your task list and pulling them apart and say, hey, this is not just like every other star. This is the North Star. You tend to get lost in the churn and the chaos of your task list. Anyways, that's so brilliant. I think everybody should do it. Okay, so I know we've already talked about this, but just one more time, can you have a champagne moment for all the different areas of your life? No. So we've basically said, or maybe a better way to say is that we've met you halfway, meaning you cannot take the 26 different areas of your life and have a champagne moment and a life map for each one. Um, I can just tell you right now from experience, it is a path that, although it might make sense, is going to lead you to massive frustration, regret, guilt, shame, the whole thing. Don't go down that road. If you do, good luck and call me when you come back. I'll help you get pick up the pieces again. But we've met you halfway and said, hey, you can have more. You're going to get a lot of tasks done in a week, hundreds, maybe thousands of tasks in a week. Just because they're not your champagne moment doesn't mean they're unimportant. And we've even given you bonus champagne moments, a new category, which is, hey, these are also leveraged things in your life. So although your champagne moment is the most leveraged, it's that North Star, it's the king on your chess piece, you can still have other players that you move around that right. can represent other important categories for, in your life. For example, let's say, that for example, right now, Demir, I happen to know you're planning our next mini retirement with a, a group of couples. Uh, you're in the midst of writing our book. Yep. Um, we're raising our daughter, like they're running our you know seven figure business. Like there's a lot of stuff that we're doing, but what you can do is sort of like once say the book is off to the editor, which it is. Now it's like Demir has a little bit more time where he can refocus on some of the other priorities that had been sort of like shunted off to the side for a while while you were finishing, you, you know, the final edits of the book. And I've gotten called on this. People say, well, Tamir, you and Kiri are living this huge, larger than life. You've got a business with multiple employees and multiple offerings. You run this couple's retreat on the side just for funsies. Mm -hmm. You've got a daughter. And I'll get, a, I'll get two interesting reactions. Number one is you can't possibly say that you only focus on one thing at a time. Right. And the answer is that I understand that from the outside, it might look that we like it, it stands to reason and logic that if somebody looks like they're doing a lot of things on the outside, then they must be focusing on a lot of things. But what we did was we really just started with the most leveraged thing. And I'm not going to retell the entire life story, but in hyper short, Carrie and I realized that nothing could get fixed in our life. Not my health, not Carrie's house, not our desire to travel, not our desire to homeschool our kids, that none of that would fit with working in a corporate environment. Mm -hmm. And so we knew at the beginning of the beginning of the beginning that the most leveraged thing for us 
would be to break out and start our own business and be our own boss. And that has served, that one decision has served everything behind it. It's been like the domino in front of all the other dominoes. So for example, three times a week, I take two hours and I go do a, what many would consider a lavish workout session. <laughs> now that was made possible because we created our own business and became entrepreneurs. Right, right. And so in the moment, rewind the tape and go back into that moment. And I could see that somebody would say, Oh, I want to start a business, but I also want to work on my health. I want to do both at the same time. And right. the truth is, is that we had the clarity because of the one thing book and other coaching we'd done that we knew that we didn't have to worry about the health thing as long as we took an action that supported the health thing Long down and that's line. exactly what it was for me. I wanted to have our own business because I wanted to be able to control my stress, which was the number one thing triggering my chronic illness. So yeah, it's like, sure, starting a business is also inherently stressful, but I knew that down the line, I would be able to control my environment in a much better way. And that's exactly what's happened. So yeah, I think that's so smart to just take that really long-term view when it comes to your leverage ladder, your champagne moments, and really start to work on one at a time because then you'll hit those really crucial turning point moments where one decision is going to make a whole range of other things possible. Exactly. And I'll just close on this. There's Gary Keller and J.E. Papazan's leveraging question. So remember that. What can I do such that by doing it, it makes everything easier or unnecessary in the future? But I have a couple other formulations that I've found that people also can relate to. So one is... What's the one thing I can do that serves all of the priority areas in my life? Mm. So I'm going to repeat that because it's so important. What's the one thing I can do this week, this month, this year that opens up possibilities, not just in one area, but in every area of my life? Um, here's another formulation. What's one thing I can do that makes everything easier in all those dimensions of my life? Meaning instead of worrying about your health, what's one thing I can do that makes it easier to live a healthy life? What's one thing I can do that makes it easier to start a business and all of the, to be a great husband, to be a great father, not for nothing, shameless plug here. A lot of people will ask themselves that question and come up with, oh, I need more time. I need more time to be a better father, to be a better husband, to invest in a business. And that's where, that's why we love what we do at Lifehack Method is because what we're really doing, when you look at us, you're probably seeing two people who are like, let's get you more productive. <laughs> we love productivity. But when we think about ourselves, what we realize is we're empowering somebody with a skill that is, that is watering every plant in their garden. Right. Totally. All right. Well, folks, um, please let us know in the comments. Do you have your own champagne moment? What are you thinking about is the most leveraged thing for you to be doing right now? And if you're in Tribe, make sure to get on the member site right, right now and register for that training that Demir is going to be delivering very soon. Oh, we are going to take this topic, which we've just hit on the top level, and we're going to drill it down to an insane and detailed and specific level. We're also going to do Q&A and workshop it. So I can't wait to see you guys in that. Awesome. Thanks, gang.